It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Help! My home has been hijacked. As property fraud rises, we look into every landlord's nightmare. Your tenant selling your house from underneath you. Should you short the used car market? We're joined by Lex writer Alan Livesey, who's doing just this and has hired a new car instead of buying one. And why it's not game over for tech investors under Donald Trump. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. Firstly, picture this. You're out for a lovely drive and go past your buy-to-let property, which you think is being rented out to a nice young family. But instead of signs of family life, you see a whacking great for sale sign in the front garden when you go past. It turns out that your tenants are in fact ruthless fraudsters who have stolen your identity and put your home on the market. I'm joined by Lucy Warwick-Ching, FT Money's digital editor, who's been investigating the rise of so-called property hijack fraud on the pages of FT Money this week. Lucy, welcome to The Money Show. Hello. So... This so-called property hijacking, how do the fraudsters carry out this fraud? So it doesn't tend to be individual fraudsters. It tends to be gangs of people. And um, it is a very complicated scheme, but I guess the rewards can be you know, hundreds of thousands, even millions of pounds. And um, so what tends to happen is that a group of individuals apply to become tenants of these empty flats or perhaps rented out flats. And they use fake passports that they've got hold of on the internet. They rent out the flats, so they they seem to be bona fide tenants. And then they don't actually move into these flats. Perhaps someone else, one of the gang members, comes along, changes their name by deed poll to the owner's name, so they get hold of a bona fide passport that actually seems to be a passport that is the owner's passport. Full photographic ID. Exactly, exactly. And then they go to a solicitor, they say that they're selling the property, they handily have these tenants in the property so they can show potential buyers around and then it all seems to be above board and then they they sell the property and by the time the solicitors get round to changing the deeds on the land registry it may be a week or so after the proceeds of the sale has gone through and then the fraudsters are away they're abroad there's no way of catching them i mean this is obviously a devastating crime for both the people who've lost the home and the people who have thought they've bought a new home but then turn out they actually it's not it's not theirs legally at all but who is particularly at risk of falling victim to this so anybody can get hold of details of owners for property so you can just go on to the land registry site and just pay 3 pounds mm-hmm. solicitors do this all the time but these fraudsters are going onto the land registry and checking for 
properties that don't tend to have loans against the property. Mm. They're looking for owners that are perhaps living abroad, maybe older owners, and they're looking for properties that are either empty properties or being rented out. So those are the people that are particularly at risk. So how can you protect yourself and what kind of compensation is is out there for both sellers and, and buyers if this happens to you? So there's a new service. Well, it's, it's been around for about a year, but from the land registry, there's called, it's called the Property Alert Service. So you can sign up up to 10 properties and any time that anyone does a search on your property on the land registry or perhaps tries to get a mortgage out on that property, you get an alert mm. and you can then see what kind of search has been done. And if, it, if you're not actually expecting any searches or any suspicious activity, then you can go to the police, straight to the it's police. It's an early warning that exactly. something could be up. If this has happened to you, as you say in your piece, mm-hmm. this level of fraud has, has trebled over the past few years, What's your legal position? So if you're the owner of the property, then you, you're you not likely to lose out because you've got your details on the land registry, you're documented as owning the property. But it's typically buyers actually, they lose that money and they don't get it back. Unless the police is able to track down the fraudsters and get some of the money back, you're unlikely to get that money back. But there have been some cases in the last year that have gone to court where people have sued their solicitors for breach of contract or said that they have failed to do their job properly and make the correct checks. So you may be able to get some money back from the the people that have been doing your sale. Well, thanks very much there to the FT's Lucy Warwick-Ching. You can read the full article with all the details about how to sign up for the Land Registry Service on ft.com slash money from Friday or in the money section of the FT Weekend newspaper this Saturday. Plus, tickets are now on sale for FT Money's next Reader Investment Forum on the new inheritance tax rules, which could enable you to pass on your family home tax-free to the next generation. You can hear the full details, meet and put questions to FT journalist Merrin Somerset-Webb, Vanessa Holder and yours truly, sponsored by Seven Investment Management. To be held in central London on the evening of Monday the 19th of June, tickets cost £30 and are available now on ft.com slash event. Full terms and conditions are on our website. Should you go long or short on the used car market? If you're buying a new car, there are a number of routes you could go down, buy one outright, take on a PCP or personal contract plan, or just sign a conventional lease agreement. But which is the best value for money? This trading strategy was debated on the pages of FT Money last week by the Lex writer and money columnist Alan Livesey, who joins me now to discuss the economics of buying a new car. Welcome, Alan. Hello. Well, at first you thought that hiring a car instead of buying a a new car was a bad idea. So talk me through what happened to change your mind. Well, essentially, I never understood why one would do a personal contract hire, you know, for yourself. It was something that I, I assumed company execs did, you know, marketing executives who crisscross the country, collecting VAT slips, that sort of thing. And so I thought, who does that? But a friend of mine who's been involved with um, limousine transport uh, vehicles for a long, long time and leasing said he was doing it. So I started to look at it. And obviously, the car dealerships are kind of pre-programmed to push you into not personal contract hire, which is like a conventional way of leasing a car for two or three years, but PCP, the personal contract plan, mm. which is kind of a, a souped up... Higher purchase. Yeah, That's exactly. All it really is. And, and, and that particularly you thought was a bad it, idea. It put me off because, one, just to understand my motivations, I was looking for a new or newish car, right? And I was also not wanting to put up a big deposit. Mm. That meant either buying the car outright, which would have 
you know, meant no much less than twenty or thirty thousand pounds, whatever. And or in the PCP case, you do need to usually put up a a decent size deposit, probably thirty percent. You don't have to do that, but in order to get the monthly payments down to to where my budget was, which is in the three hundred area, I would have needed to do that. Then there's this business of do you want to buy the car at the end? So, the the dealer's perspective is. Of course you want to buy a car. Why would you not want to buy a car? Everybody wants to buy a car. Where I was perfectly happy to lease because cars go down in value. Mm. And I didn't understand why I want to own a depreciating asset. And for listeners who are thinking of weighing up the, the costs, what else should they bear in mind with those options? Well, you should think about, first of all, obviously you're going to have a car in mind, but you should think about your monthly budget. How much do you want to spend per month? How much would a deposit be, you know, enough for you? Um, Usually they're three or six months worth of payments. So they're not, it's not a huge amount, whereas the PCP one might be 30% of the value of the car. Um, The other thing to think about is there are mileage restrictions. Um, People get very head up about that, but it is important to keep that in mind. Yeah. If you live in the country and you need your car all the time, maybe this isn't right for and, you. And, and, and anyway, those mileage just restrictions apply to the PCP deals as well that as the they PCH. They do. No, no, of course they do. That's so another thing for, to think to about. So consider too. with both of those. But yeah. in your um, estimation, for all of the things that you wanted, a new car, one that wasn't going to cost you um, huge amounts in maintenance going mm. forward because obviously lots of money readers have been have been emailing in saying oh well my car is 10 well, years I mean, old and you can't compare and that's the thing and I, so I had a lot of a lot of emails and i you know i recognize that this is just not this pch is not going to necessarily compare with buying a three-year-old car and keeping it for 20 years until the I mean, wheels fall off because <laughs> obviously the average over that long period is going to be shorter so i've i have gotten a lot of grief about that and i admit that this is perhaps a more expensive option but i have a, quite a nice car and i don't think having a one-year-old car or, or a brand new car compares with having a five or six-year-old car and driving it down so it will depend on the model you pick and what your monthly budget is and then just finally shorting the used car market what challenging factors do you think will be heading down the road well the, the used car market is looking very toppy to me in the uk we've already begun to see and i realize it's a completely different market we've already started to see in the u.s market which is out by the way two or three times as many people use leases in the U.S. market Mm -hmm. as they do here. It's only about probably going to be maybe 10% of the new car market in the U.K. this year. Um, They do it more in France and Germany than they do it here. But I'm expecting the U.K. used car market will probably roll over in the next two or three years. That's not my problem if I lease. Yeah. It's the leasing company's problem. And depreciation schedules and leasing schedules may alter later. But for now, I'm counting on not having to deal with that later. Well, thanks very much there to the FT's Anna Livesey. You can read his column, Why I'm Shorting the Used Car Market, online now at ft.com slash money. And comments on the bottom of the article are a rather fun meander through, I must say. Technology has the power to transform our lives, but has it transformed your investment returns? The recent earnings season has been on the button for the biggest US tech giants, but can it continue under President Trump? Joining me in the studio to discuss is Micah Curry, Investment Director at Fidelity International and, of course, FD Money columnist. Welcome, Micah. Thanks, Claire. So in your column this week, you question whether the Trump bump has hit a speed hump or indeed whether it's about to turn into 
the Trump slump, which is it to be? <laughs> well, it is interesting because when Donald Trump was on the campaign trail, he had these three big promises of infrastructure spend, cutting red tape and, of course, corporate tax reform. And really it is the corporate tax reform where the market has invested most of its optimism. So we saw value stocks really have a, a big rise at the end of last year, but it was just a flirtation. There was a big talk about the long-anticipated rotation into value. It seems to have been nothing more than a short-lived and intense fling. And rather than look for reincarnated growth under Trump, investors are now looking for stable growth, which they can love for longer and tech stocks really offer this they've had a stellar earnings season they've beat expectations on the earnings front and on the revenue front and if you look at the so-called fangs the acronym referring to facebook amazon netflix and google or alphabet the holding company they're all up over 20 between 20 and 30 percent since the start of the year regardless of whether Trump is having success in passing these policies. And over the weekend, we heard that the world's greatest investor, quote unquote, Warren Buffett, regrets that he missed the opportunity um, in tech stocks, which is extraordinary to hear. But there are some UK fund managers who did cotton on to the potential of tech. Yeah, and, and the space you really need to look at are global growth funds. Now, Scottish Investment Trust, which is a very popular investment trust, a very big investment trust, it's managed by James Anderson and Tom Slater. It's long taken positions in technology companies. I think they held a position in Facebook before the company was listed. And they also s- fancy themselves as a long-term stockholder. So they work with the companies, they nurture them, companies like Tesla, they also hold Amazon, China's Tencent, Alibaba. In fact, I was looking at a fact sheet of the investment trust and eight out of the top 10 companies belong to the tech sector. And then the other fund that's very interesting is the Rathbone Global Opportunities Fund managed by James Thompson. Likewise, he holds Facebook and Amazon. He doesn't hold Tesla. He points to the manufacturing manufacturing mishaps and the fact that there's a big competitive threat, which um, his words are that every automaker out there is throwing all of their research and development at electric cars. But he does hold Infineon Technologies, which makes the chips that go into electric cars. He also holds a number of other interesting companies like PayPal and Activision, which is actually the second best performer in the S&P 500. And this is the company that owns video games, those big hits like Call of Duty and, and Candy crash Wow. <laughs> well, obviously the world is a is a better place um, as a result <laughs> of these time-stealing games. But tech isn't without concern. It's very economically sensitive. The risk of failure is high. I mean, I refer you to, to MySpace if you needed an example. And also the valuations are really toppy. I mean, the Nasdaq's dramatic rise has given investors perhaps just cause to think that dot-com bubble 2.0 is on the horizon. I think a key risk, there are risks, and I think a key risk is the the issue of regulation. Tech companies are almost becoming like the banks in the sense that they are too big to fail. They control our data, they control our daily lives. And a company like Facebook, which has really changed, as much as it likes to fancy itself as a social networking site, people don't go on there to social network anymore. They go on there to consume content, whether it's a video or post and ft news you can follow the ft on facebook well there you go Uh, but the fact is because they host this content they they're turning into media companies and they have a responsibility which which brings up the issue of regulation so that is a risk on the topic of whether we are heading for 
dot-com bubble uh, too, the NASDAQ has had a dramatic rise. But if we mm. look at the index, it's a lot more diversified. The bulk of the index still belongs to tech stocks. But those companies are very different from the companies that listed back in 1999 that had no business models, no earnings, so to speak of, and basically just wanted to tap into that insatiable appetite for anything tech. In the last 20 years, we've actually seen business models evolve and we've seen the success stories, the Facebooks and the Amazons of this world rewarded. And we've seen the failures being punished. And and there's a long list of failures, as you mentioned, MySpace, Twitter, Lenovo, Dell, BlackBerry. So that bodes well for the sector. It, it has evolved and, and valuations are high, but they're not much higher than the broader US market. Well, thanks very much there to Micah Curry of Fidelity. You can read her article all about whether it's game over for tech stocks under Trump on ft.com slash money. And just a reminder to listeners... You must do your own research if you're considering making any investments mentioned in this piece. They are just for your information and you should not act without the advice of an independent financial advisor. That's all from The Money Show this week. If you've got a story you'd like the FT Money team to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts, then get in touch. Email us money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. We will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.